welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everyone, I've got an awesome guest for you this week, and that is Dr. Peter Ketchkamati. He is a serial entrepreneur and the CEO and co-founder of Chiron Medical, which is an AI cancer diagnostics company based in London. So Peter's a computer scientist by background and prior to Chiron, he actually founded two tech startups and he was a lead developer in two others. So pedigree tech startup background. He did his PhD and postdoctoral research at the University in Oxford in, get this, high performance computing and computational statistics for population genetics. Chiron's mission is to give a better fighting chance to everybody against cancer and its current focus is on breast screening. Their first product, me has European regulatory approval and won best new radiology solution for 2019. Hope you enjoy this one. So Peter, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Great. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Peter? Uh, from London. Whereabouts are you based in London? Are you in the office or are you at home? At the moment, home. Uh, which yeah. is the same as the office, as uh, I think for many of us. <laughs> Indeed, and probably about to get worse with uh, announcements of more lockdown on Friday, but I-, I won't get us into that just yet. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys have got plenty to say on COVID-19. But um, yeah, listen, Peter, the way that we start these podcasts is that we get you to tell your story. And obviously, serial entrepreneur and lots of different things that you've done. Now, obviously, the, the founder of Cara Medical and doing all sorts of exciting stuff. So, uh, yeah, for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us a bit of your story? Great. Um, it's not easy to figure out where to start, but um, <laughs> maybe um, just, just very simply, I'm definitely free to, coming from a tech background. So um, computer science, software engineering, high-performance computing, um, statistical population genetics, um, PhD postdoc, lots of time in academia, uh, but uh, so, so definitely uh, technology has been one of the um, defining factors of, of my trajectory in my, my life um, and interest about all sorts of things, quantitative, uh, almost in any shape or form from cosmology, etc. But really, I think what might be more defining for, um, for who I am and, and, and what I do and, and, and why I do things is uh, that I come from a um, family background with uh, where my mom's a radiologist and my grandmother is also in medical imaging. Ah, I see. It's uh, it's 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 defining to the extent that although I I, I did start sort of programming from the age of eight nine, I was very into sort of um, I don't know uh, n- nuclear reactors very <laughs> early on as a kid. Uh, I actually. Um, um, what was more defining is spending most of my, my childhood in, in radiology departments uh, mm. with, with my family. Um, so uh, that's for, for various reasons, that was a, that was a necessity. Um, and uh, I think I lived and breathed the, the joys, the pains, the, the problems, the, um, the, the everyday reality of, of what work in a radiology department in, in healthcare really looks like uh, with, with all of its glory and, and, and pain um, so, <laughs> what's and uh, all as they say yes it's it's an interesting mix that i think a lot of people don't uh, necessarily are aware of like how yeah. much um like pressure there is how, how interesting the work is how important the work is and how much um 
what's what's really the the relationship between patients and doctors on beyond the surface level but really understanding you know, that's a really good point actually sorry to jump in that, that that is actually a really good point and you know what I, i've run a couple of different health tech accelerators now and helping startups and all the rest of it and I, I always say, like, I think the biggest problem that we solved for startups and individuals that were at that kind of early stage was actually access. It was actually access to the people that you're going to solve the problems of. And for people like yourself that, you know, have got this technology background, you've mentioned some really cool stuff there, like nuclear reactors and cosmology and like all these different things that you could have gone and done. It's interesting that because you had that access, you, you've learned what a as you put it, the everyday reality of a radiology department with all its joys and pains, right? And it's that particular thing, you understand the pains. Yeah. And I think it's funny, I suppose, just how defining that was then for, for everything that you did in your career. Yeah, so I, I think the the most defining part of it is is realizing that it's obviously the patients are most of the time suffering. Uh, and that I think most people are aware of. Uh, but what people are not aware of is that uh, a lot of times the doctors and, and those in the service are also somewhat suffering. But I would say more like um, at least, the very least, not empowered to do the job that they 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 need to. So there's there's, there's really educated people who are um, really trying their best to help others um, in in when when they have a very hard time in life. And and we actually don't. Um, empower them with the right processes, technology tools. So, so, so the everyday person for uh, looking at finding the right restaurant or picking the right wine, etc., is is way more empowered to do those tasks than, than a doctor is to, to do their jobs. And, and, and that has, that is definitely now has been previously as well. And, and I just thought, okay, this, this is really important to help, uh, to, to fix. Um, and, and so wherever I saw any, any application of technology, it kind of like looked at it through the lens of, okay, can that be, can it be used in, in this context, in this really important context of, of helping the doctors, helping those who are trying to help? Um, and uh, that, that, has, that has been really, I think, as I said, uh, the defining thing for me. Um, so so I, I did four startups, two, two directly in healthcare and, uh, in, in the past. And, oh, wow. Uh, Two in the mobile uh, mobile app development, but even those always had sort of a healthcare angle. Uh, every, every time coming back to it, um, and cool. Uh, yeah. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch on there. So the first one is it's really interesting how you describe the the, the sort of desire to solve the problem. It got me thinking when you said that ultimately when you, when you hang out in a radiology department, you're obviously going to come across patients that are suffering, but you're also going to come across, and you corrected yourself, but you said doctors that are suffering, clinicians that are suffering. But actually, I agree with you that they are in that, in that way because you're right. They're not empowered to do their jobs in the most efficient way, and therefore they are suffering because their patients are suffering. And I think it's human nature, isn't it, that we all, if we're given the choice, would put will definitely stop people suffering and i think it's interesting to me that people like yourself that have this technology background can then and again using your words look through a lens of actually trying to correct it and i think that is so wonderfully empowering for somebody like you to be able to look at a system and be like i could redesign this i could build a piece of technology that could actually make a difference here 
And it's why, like, it happens on so many of these episodes, man. That I talk about. I really, I really would love it if if you had to do computer science before you did medicine, mm. or you mm. ha- you had to spend some time with a computer scientist on a weekly basis to then like bitch about your problems too. <laughs> do you know what mm. I mean? Like instead of like moaning to other clinicians in the in the mess, like you might as well be saying it to people that could solve the problems like engineers and, and yeah. you know, people that understand electronics and, and can build things and computer scientists and data scientists. But I think that, that, that's, I suppose the melting pot, the, the entrepreneur first gave you, right. Which, um, which is where you guys founded Chiron. Yeah. I, I think you're touching on a, on a very important problem that, um, at the moment, um, a lot of people in, in working in healthcare, and I can speak about radiology directly, that, that I know, and I know a bit of cardiology, but, but the important thing is that those working in healthcare don't necessarily understand or know what are the options and what are the, what, what's the technology, the power of technology that could be brought into their everyday. And how yes. Much that could be they don't know the power of the possible because yeah. I don't, as I sit here, I don't know the power of the possible. Yes. And I think what EF got really right, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say, say a bit about it, um, that um, really the, the most, the current startup I'm, um, or I would say scale up uh, that uh, I'm, I'm the CEO of, uh, Cairo Medical, is really started in Entrepreneur First, uh, the uh, UK's and probably um, Europe's uh, top accelerator. Um, that are, are really focused on putting a bunch of potential founders together and, and it, uh, into really, uh, that looks like a man, uh, I think, really. Uh, <laughs> and then they're trying to support these uh, pairings of, okay, uh, what would be like the right pairing for, for a certain problem? It's, it's basically two people plus a problem pairing. So it's, uh, and they are, the, the aim, I think that, that EF figured out of how to do that well is, is finding what they call tech edge and domain edge. Someone who has an edge of really understanding technology really well, so, so can, can be really successful in, in solutioning for something with a piece of technology. And um, domain edge for, for someone who can be really insightful about uh, a domain. And, and really that seems, as far as I understand from, from the EF uh, leaders, is, the most successful that they had is, is with those kind of pairings. And I think for healthcare, it's, uh, it's the only way to do. And so, so definitely I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, for EF having that wisdom and, and, and pushing uh, me and my co-founder Tobias to, to the direction of, um, of pairing together and solving a very complicated problem then. Well, even they thought it was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So let's talk about that then. I want to, I want to talk to you about going from an idea to reality. So once you, once you obviously had your co-founder and you guys are, or you, you guys paired up and you were talking about the problems that, that you wanted to solve and how you were going to do them. How did you go from, from, you know, your, your knowledge of radiology and your, and your knowledge of, of tech, of technology hmm. to then the algorithm, I suppose. So I think a bit of background and, and, and mindset, I will, I will explain how me and my co-founder came together and what was sort of like the magic moment of getting together. <laughs> um, it, it is a, it's, a, it's really a bit of a magic moment. So um, yeah, so, so I have always been interested in, in, in fixing radiology in, in, in terms of efficiency and also 
the workforce crisis and, and how that impacts quality, etc. And, and I did a teleradiology company previously. Um, and, and I was really watching the development of AI. I have always been, I thought that was the most important, most interesting thing in, in information uh, technology and computer science. So, and it's sort of what I was on the edge of all the way through my, my whole, whole trajectory. Uh, so, so I was really closely watching the advent of deep learning and with, with a lot of skepticism. After you're in the field for 10, 15 years and really closely watching, you develop a healthy skepticism of nothing really working. <laughs> uh, then deep learning came and, and it really, really dawned on me that it is actually working. Like this thing is the first thing that can go beyond human capability in, in certain ways and in, in some limited ways. But really when you say that it was actually working, what was it, what was it that convinced you of that? What, what, what had you seen? What application of it had you seen that convinced you? That, well, the number one thing is it did some image recognition jobs better than I thought I could do. That, that's wow. something okay. I saw. Uh, but uh, that was the start. And then the even more important thing is it did better than a lot of humans, uh, testers. Uh, I think there was the ImageNet test that I think a lot of people know, on, know, know about uh, around 2013. Uh, where um, where it could could recognize dogs better than sort of a, a, a semi-trained human. Oh, wow! But but I, even then, I was quite skeptical. I have to say, so maybe I'm a I'm a late observer in this <laughs> one. Uh, very healthcare thinky. Yeah. Uh, that in healthcare, it would still not work. Is what I thought for for yeah. a while until I saw a presentation from from a from a professor uh, Ben Glocker from Imperial College who who really showed uh, a couple of like like what his um successes were specifically in medical imaging and then i thought okay this is like really far from being useful but i can see in principle that this this is not ready like this this direction of technology is ready for doing something great and uh, i need to be in it uh because at, at the time actually i was i was looking into like okay who's solving this problem and went to the big radiology conference and in Chicago with like 80,000 or so people. And I just saw, shoot, um, a lot of people take it from a tech first perspective and not actually understanding what problems are to be solved. So I thought either we, I, either I do something here or, or this is not, this is not going to go the right way. Mm. Um, and, and so went to EF, um, um, after, after my PhD and postdoc, uh, succeeded, um, an old investor, friend recommended me to go there <laughs> and then um, and, and, and really uh, I, I had a couple of um, dinner chats at, over Christmas actually I remember uh, with, with my mom saying okay what should I do should I go to academia should I go to a big company should I go to EF and I had an offer to go to like have a joint position with Stanford Oxford so I thought okay that's the default in September but it's September it can't nothing nothing's happening until then so so what do I do? And, and, and we decided, okay, let's just give this EF thing a, 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 a try. Worst case, it's a, a paid vacation or have some other <laughs> or something. Yeah, um, you do get that nice stipend, don't you? So that's ideal. Exactly. So this is the risk. <laughs> that is the magic of, of, of EF, of, of getting people who are, who are not naturally, like with their, with their surroundings and backgrounds, are not encouraged to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. It gives, gives that, like lowers that barrier, that activation energy. Yeah. Like, 
And so, so I went into EF with that thought of, okay, and, and probably the most important problem I could bring there is medical imaging, but it's such a hard problem that no one would probably be interested in. <laughs> and uh, I pitched to EF and they said, oh, we had so many people trying to get it. It's totally impossible. You're not going to have any chance. And I explained how I would go about it. They said, okay, I haven't, we haven't heard any of this before. Um, and, uh, and, and so I got a spot on EF. There's two last steps to this story. One is EF has this orientation week going away for weekend or so, a few days, uh, trying to uh, connect uh, the potential founders. And, and there's, there was this moment of in introduction, uh, introduction where everyone stands up in the room of sort of 50 people and they talk about what they do, what they want and who they are, etc. And so I was in the middle of the, of the batch, um, or sort of like the first third, and I, and I took notes of like every single person who stood up, like, okay, yes, no, maybe, interesting, uh, good to talk to, ignore, but like, okay, it's a bit brutal, but like, it's a, it's a very heavy process. Yeah, right? definitely, man. No, I get it. I understand it. 50 people. Uh, yeah. So, so, so um, and I took notes, and, uh, and, and I did my speech, and then, uh, went on and, and, I, and this very interesting guy stood up uh, who said, okay, and he comes from a healthcare background, but he's focused on machine learning. He's really deeply in it and, and that's his strength. And, and, um, and I thought, as he was saying, I was writing down on my paper, like mm-hmm. number one, this is, <laughs> and in that second or like half a second later, he pointed at me as like, and I'm really interested in talking to Peter on how oh, we can nice. do, use any of this in healthcare specifically. So, uh, that's the magic moment I would say. And we basically sort of didn't do any of the EF and joy of, of sort of, um, the, uh, the speed dating, all the founders, we just started working and, and we have been working with Karen uh, ever since. Um, Amazing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested then in, in the next part of the story, which is obviously the, the growth that you guys have seen in terms of you've obviously done a couple of rounds of, of raising money, you've grown your team. But actually, the more interesting thing to me is the fact that you've actually got work going in the NHS which is extremely, not- well, notoriously difficult to actually start working with. But you guys are clearly there. I saw that you guys won one of the awards for the, uh, the AI lab as well. Uh, so you guys have, have clearly, you've clearly had a focus on, on actually getting this adopted. And I think that for me is super interesting because I think a lot of being from a technology background, I imagine a lot of your attention goes into the, the strength and the quality of the algorithm and its ability to, to, to diagnose and, and all the rest of it. But as you'll know, to actually get things used and adopted is a bigger challenge, how it integrates into clinical workflows, how people actually interact with it, what systems it's interoperable with. These are the things that are far less exciting, but actually far more difficult, but actually make or break the success of a company. And it seems to me, and we were chatting before, you know, we've not actually spoken other than on the, other than uh, just briefly before this call. So I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued to, to, to know about, I guess the company culture as you were building it and, and where your focus was. And I guess my question is, is have you always had this focus on the integration with the clinical workflow and making sure it's adopted and all those things? Or did you focus purely on let's make this thing as accurate as we possibly can? I think now many people understand that AI can be powerful. 
there's still plenty of skepticism and that's also for totally the right reasons uh, most of the time uh, <laughs> and be strong really and, and and has a ton of power but uh, it, it, it also has its limitations and flaws in its current form uh, and, and 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 what's really important in healthcare is uh, that we work with those limitations and understand them and 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 not just like through a bit of technology that is on an uh, unclear how it will will behave in reality but we characterize exactly how it um how it can impact standard of care and and um primarily uh in terms of patient safety that's the, the mm. that's the number one thing but and we probably should say at this point by the way that it is in um it's breast cancer screening isn't it yes and what we what our company specifically does is is it supports uh, breast cancer screening uh, helping the doctors uh, make the decisions um, and, and sort of reducing the, uh, the workload in, in areas where it's uh, repetitive but not necessarily fruitful for putting too much effort into. Uh, mm-hmm. And really bringing in, utilizing different information from the images and the data that is available for the doctors that, that the human visual system and the human brain can not potentially not process fast enough or well enough or just maybe the eyes don't even see in the images and use all of that information to add to the human side so it's not really not, not taking the human out of the loop it's uh, still keeping the full authority for for the doctors the radiologists but uh but very much trying to bring as much extra in and uh, and remove as much of the clutter and uh, and inefficiency as possible uh, so in breast screening, that specifically means if you're talking about workflow, uh, that we ha- that are normally two radiologists is the um, that's the um, the gold standard. Two two radiologists or, or sometimes non-radiologist readers that are looking at every single image and every single case that's uh, uh, that is actually four images, and they need to make a decision of recalling a patient for further. Um, um, further investigation for further tests or not and and actually not uh, like 90 90 percent of, of the cases are negative um, uh, but and and so the biggest part of the problem is is to to say the negatives that's what you do most of the time but uh, that's also the higher risk decision uh, that uh, so saying that okay a patient can come back is a lower risk decision yeah. that impacts the patient somewhat negatively it's the Calling, not calling back a patient means, okay, may have missed the cancer, really yeah. stressful, but that's like minute after minute after minute is the actual, that's the actual job. Um, and that's really tough. Um, and, and that's where we, we're trying to help for sure. Um, so, so an AI can be really helpful in, in bringing extra information, again, that the human visual system cannot necessarily comprehend or, or, or bring, or just frankly, the doctor doesn't have time or the capacity to, to consider all sorts of different factors. And so, so really AI is just this super calculator that tries to bring the, all the details all the time. So nothing gets missed uh, to the attention of the after a radiologist and, and automate wherever wherever that is possible, uh, that's what we're we're focusing on. And 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 and, and uh, there's another element of the uh, of of this workflow stuff that is really important, and that really comes from the reality, as you said. Like like uh, how do we get to adoption, and um, how do we make sure that this um, this piece of tech can be used? 
and the, and the background the context for that is really number one uh, just for me to remember what the reality looks like that I that I had in my in my childhood like, like the actual reality of um, of a radiologist is, is something very much um, depicted by an experience I had in a New York hospital recently uh, went to talk with the with the head of department and uh, he was thinking about funding he was thinking about which room uh, we should uh, is is available for for our short discussion he had to run in and out there was like water dripping from the ceiling and then someone was wiping blood down from the from the from the floor uh, someone slipped on all of that and then dislocated i think uh, one of oh their joints God. so he personally went there to fix that and there was a fax machine still somewhere in the rooms as we as we walked <laughs> in and out so that's the reality in which we're trying to tell everyone like guys you're bringing front end of technology ai to your workflow there's uh, often there's a bit of a giggle at the start of that conversation um, um and that's uh, you know like thinking about that and explaining how we make things simpler easier and have them do a better job and actually less chaos than in their lives rather than more is one of the key things to 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 do and 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 really work with these uh, radiologists and, and doctors who are trying to do their best in those circumstances is, is key. Um, I totally agree, man. And yeah, I know I was projecting slightly when I asked you that really long-winded question and you've, uh, you've said the answer exactly how I wanted it said, which is that there is, there, but there is that reality, right? As, you, as you've said, like someone's going to run to somewhere to solve a problem and they're going to slip on a patient's blood or a leaking ceiling and they're going to, end up back in the department which I just ran from to solve a problem like it's it's so it's just so bizarre that 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 is on the backdrop of AI in healthcare and as you say as this person is slipping and dislocating their shoulder a fax machine at the simul simultaneously printing out some like prescription form yeah. sent by like cheap it, it is like it's so outrageous but it's 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 quite a funny paradox I suppose because it, it is it is simultaneously happening. And actually, I am writing an article at the moment about this, this kind of paradox and this in this similarity between the fact that there are AI algorithms operating at the same time as fax machines are printing in the background, which is yeah. such a it's, it's such a bizarre picture. But I think but also it, it kind of speaks to the utility of fax machines. And I keep saying that mm -hmm. to people, which is like we use bleeps and we use fax machines. Because at the end of the day, it works. And actually, the opportunity cost of, of or the transformation cost, sorry, of, of actually transforming onto a different system means that something might be missed. And actually, is the benefit much greater? Well, a lot of people would argue yes, but actually, in, in an NHS where systems are just held together by workarounds and people's goodwill of staying late and all the rest yeah. of it, I'm kind of okay with fax machines whilst we're doing this AI stuff in the background, you know? But it's... It's, it's so funny, man. So I, I'm interested though. So when you're building out this tech and when you're, when you're looking at training this algorithm, where did, where did you get your data set from? Because I know that this is a huge question that a lot of kind of um, early stage entrepreneurs ask me, which is, you know, where can we get a data set? I mean, how did you guys go about that part? Yeah, that's a, that's a really spot on question. And uh, as I said, then, when I, uh, uh, when I applied to EF, that was one of the questions um, that the um, 
interviewers ask me, okay, are mm. you going to be able to get data? You're never going to get data. So <laughs> You've got you the keys to your mum's radiology office, <laughs> so you could probably go in. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be dangerous. But yeah. um, so... Uh, but I really, I, I think that's one of the, one of the questions. And so really through understanding the landscape and understanding uh, different um, providers um, in the UK and, and, and also, in, also in Hungary, uh, where, where I'm originally from, uh, it, it was very clear and very good, at, very good to know where, where to start, um, where, where good data comes from. What does the good data look like? Because it's one thing to get some data, but that is not actually sufficient. Like picking where, where the good data, good information comes from. Okay, so where does data come from that has good information that an AI system can learn from? That was basically the first task. And uh, the first pieces of, of, of data could, uh, were really sort of like, like public uh, uh, repositories of like small, noisy, dirty data sets that we were just sort of like academically looking at. Mm. Um, and, and just really trying to think about, okay, uh, what does this problem look like? And uh, in the meantime, looking for what were the actual data sets and what should a good data set look like that we're definitely hunting for. And, and thankfully in our, uh, in, in our networks, we were able to um, uh, identify a number of uh, sites that were sort of in, secretively were leading in, um, and no one really knew about like how good they were at keeping track of patients and their own work, um, and and also very interested in in pushing technology forward. Uh, and these these sites are are really sort of like the starting point of doing doing the groundbreaking frontline work that that we have done, um, and. I, I need to need to give you a short story of uh, of one of one of the sites that we worked with. Um, this site is was um, originally supported and sort of like ran with uh, one of the pioneers of of mammography, uh, Professor Tabar, back in Hungary. I think before he went to Sweden and and established his screening program. But and and Professor Tabar is seen as one of the pioneers of um, uh, of mammography. Uh, but really, he established his method with his um, at his his all-time partner, uh, uh, Dr. Pintek, um, at at the site where that we found, and and what we found is that that his methodology has been kept and uh, and used for 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 ever since he left, um, and and that really meant in in um, mammography that a lot of data is kept in order to figure out the quality control, the standardization, and and how to continuously improve the service. So. So we had this really longitudinal um, um, data set that, that was really uh, capturing pretty much everything we needed because, because it was uh, designed to, to have all the information to keep and maintain and improve that service. Oh, wow. um, and so, so just, and, and again, it, like, a lot of people don't know what to look for, but that is one aspect of looking for clean data and clean data is important to start with and kind of later on you need to have dirty data so so that we can train an algorithm mm -hmm. to work with data, dirty data not just clean one but yeah. characterizing the problem and really being good at understanding uh, what we're solving that kind of clean and, and high quality good data it was really really useful for, for early early days and 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 you know um 
soon after we found uh, a number of UK sites and uh, I would uh, give a very positive shout out to the uh, East, East Midlands uh, Radiology Consortium. Uh, multiple uh, NHS trusts that are pulled together in terms of radiology for, for being innovative and, and definitely there's an innovative mindset and support for, for all sorts of things uh, for development. Uh, these things, uh, yeah, I think the backbone is, uh, is, is the really good support from some of these um, evangelists and, and advocates for tech. And, and those who already also see that technology is important and necessity and even a responsibility for everyone to bring into these workflows. Uh, I think that's the, those are the budding like starting points of mm. all of this happening. It strikes me as well in the short time that we've been speaking that I, I can only imagine that when you're in those meetings about that, you can sell your vision extremely well and certainly sell your competence and ability to do so and do good with it. So, um, yeah, I can imagine that it's easy to hand over the keys when uh, when it's someone like yourself. But it's, I'm interested now in um, in where you guys where you guys are at now with Car Medical in terms of your scale. And I'm interested in what you've got going on, and I'm interested in what you guys have got planned for, I guess, the near future and and perhaps medium long term future as well. Because you've ra- you raised relatively recently, although I know time flies, but I know it was quite recent that you raised some money. Um, which I think was your Series A, maybe. Um, yep. But yeah, t- tell me, tell me where you guys are at and uh, what's the plan. Who? <clears throat> um, that's a good question. I, I never see the plan in the from the light of uh, investment rounds. Uh, I see, see the plan <laughs> in the light of okay, where are we? How close are we to uh, impacting patients and and doctors and um, and how close are we for really understanding the last piece of the puzzle? Um, the this um, so really <clears throat> in terms of from from that light we're we're really with the AI award I think we're uh, and and some of the other uh, initiatives that we have is is really we're doing the frontline testing of our algorithms in um, in, in reality and how does this work we're, we're having a very safe approach of step by step bringing some uh, the AI in to the workflows it's not like you deploy and then you may have problems and then it could be a disaster. No, you're bringing it sort of close to the, um, to the, to the NHS trust or, or unit. And then we're analyzing, okay, how would it perform if it was installed? And then we're bringing it sort of just next to the normal workflow. And then we're starting to uh, bring a DI to, to amend the workflow a tiny bit, all of that uh, before we do a full rollout. And this is extremely important. Um, AI is not very well understood by even even researchers, but definitely yeah. not the clinicians. Yeah, so and I suppose nor is it trusted until you do it like that. You know, edging it closer and closer, getting it to change a little bit and then a little bit more, yeah. making sure it's checked, making sure people can see its value, and bringing Absolutely. it in that way. I suppose in the same way that you'd probably integrate a really smart human into the mix, you'd do it exactly the same way. You wouldn't just Actually, control exactly. everything. We had this discussion with one of the uh, UK NHS trusts that actually our process is accidentally exactly how they how they bring radiologists <laughs> into the department. So we nice. sort of like reinvented the wheel for a slightly different purpose, but we are very much aligned on that. So nice. So that's really good. Uh, the and and so that process is what we're focusing on, uh, and and uh, I think a lot of people don't 
people know that we have a bit more we have we have the maximalism to be even more cautious and even more careful than than most of the sites and yeah. um, and um, some of them are just saying okay can we go faster and please do <laughs> it right now um, and while we're going like okay but really we, what we want is good impact for all of you so really yeah. understand and and bring it with, with care and uh, so that's that's really where we are and 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 i think one of the milestones that we had is uh running uh as far as i know uh the largest um clinical study on on ai in this field um interesting over over a quarter million uh patient uh, uh cases in it this is a this is a really large scale thing uh but that that large scale is not just for the sake of oh we have large numbers and larger than anyone else before mm. it's because that is the number is necessary to understand in detail how AI performs yeah. and what we would expect in reality when we deploy this on, on the front lines. And that, that's extremely important. And that's, that's uh, again, not understood that, uh, that AI can have different uh, hidden performance fluctuations for, for some demographics or from some geographies, hardware, software, whatever input variations can lead to what I call systematic performance drops. And, and we do these large trials at Chiron for, for hunting those down and eliminating as much as possible. That's, that's again, like technically, what is it that we're doing for patient safety is really hunting these things down, running the large tests so that we are sure whenever we develop and, and deploy these algorithms for, for, um, uh, for real world use, live use, mm. uh, it will be safe. So that's, that's how we're, we're measuring progress. And uh, I believe then in a couple of months, we will be measuring progress in uh, number of hours saved, uh, number of patients uh, saved, a number of uh, unnecessary uh, sort of examinations and anxiety reduced for, for patients. Um, Which is huge. And it's interesting that you go back to that, actually, and that, and that you end up with metrics, you know, <laughs> Uh, completely unprobed by me, but you've ended up with a metric that directly affects a human being, which is just how worried they are about their own body and, and what might be happening. You know, you ended up by saying about anxiety. And it's funny because I, when you were saying all the others, I was like writing down health economics because your health economics is going to be fantastic. But then obviously you guys seem driven by actual impact and, and, and that's really nice to hear. You know, the fact that you, you actually just care really about uh, relieving that anxiety for those for those individuals that, that are needing that screening and I think I think that's really nice and also it seems to me that you know a lot of health techs have to you know they have to make progress with the technology they have to make progress with adoption they have to make progress with the academia as well uh, and often one of those things feels to me anyway that when I speak to some of these people that that they have to do it. But it seems to me that, that you guys, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but you kind of see it all ha and how it plays together as a whole. And you're less, I guess you're less focused on the optics of it. Like, as you say, you know, 250,000 case trial is phenomenal for lots of reasons and could make headlines for a lot of reasons. But I think actually the point is that that's what gives you to statistical significance in order to make a decent decision going forwards and change something for, for the better. And I think that in speaking to you, I suppose that's what I found quite refreshing if I'm perfectly honest about, about your approach, which is that, that, you know, you're a tech guy, but ultimately for you, you even seem, you seem to be so impact driven, which, um, which I think is really nice. 
Yeah, I, 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 thanks a lot. <laughs> and it's, uh, I think one of the key things that we focused on is that clearly there, there was a bit of hype around AI. Okay, <laughs> a bit, everything. Peter. Yeah, Goodness guess. me. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and that it would get rid of radiologists specifically and, and all sorts of things. You shouldn't even train them. So, so yeah. we just kept really quiet in all of that and uh, try to just do what, whatever works because we thought uh, we want to talk about this once when, when, it's, when it's worth talking about it and not, not feed the hype, but try to show the way that it should really be done and then, then be loud about those pieces. So we, yeah. we try to be loud about how to test AI, how to be uh, vigilant in breast cancer screening. And... Uh, and really do the groundwork and then talk about that and well, walk the talk in a way and then, and then show what the results look like then. And uh, so I, I very much hope that we can be visible about some of the, some of the important pieces of the work and, and really underpinning, as you said, why these things are important. Why do you need large-scale trials? Why do you need to assess AI? Why do you need to mm. have a very safe deployment process? Why do you need to have certain metrics statistically? Uh, why do you need to think about the, not just the immediate effects that everyone is looking at, but, but the secondary tertiary effects? Like, like stress has, uh, uh, patient stress has immediate impact, but also has a secondary impact uh, of, um, of maybe those, uh, those women will not necessarily come back to the screening program. If you yeah. don't do screening, yeah. there's less detection happening. So, so there's, there's, the responsible thing is to have all of those in one package, think about all of these things through and talk about them as like how we're impacting the system that we're working in. So, so that I'm very excited about like gradually uh, being able to, to show the whole picture and not just pick up the pieces because mm. so we're very much hopeful to, uh, about, about bringing a, a lot of what we have done to light, but really just talk about um, how, what good looks like and, 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 and not really moving away from the hype. And I, I'm very much worried, still somewhat worried about a healthcare AI winter. And I, and I want to uh, avoid that. And I believe being honest and, and bringing the, uh, the clarity to everyone is, is one of the ways we can do that. You're worried about a healthcare AI winter. I love that phrase. I'm definitely stealing that going forward. <laughs> That's something it perfectly describes how I felt about, um, about the hype and the bubble and, and the bursting and all those things. So uh, thank you for that. You can see me using that phrase in future. Um, listen, Peter, I'm interested in one more thing before we wrap up, and that's your view of the future of the space. And what I mean by that is where do you see AI in healthcare going? Uh, we can talk a bit either in radiology or more broadly. Do you see a do you see the day eventually where where certain processes are taking over completely? Do you see a, a change in role of clinicians? Do you see you know topple review type stuff coming out? I mean, what, what's your kind of view on on where this is all going? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I would say that uh, I would be very surprised if there's there's gigantic differences from AI adoption compared to other technologies, apart from like a bit more hype, et cetera, mm. and, and, and higher impact. Um, and, and what I mean by that is um, these 
a lot of technologies are adopted with authority from the clinician. So if you think about an ECG machine, okay, the, like they, those, were, those were brought in to support and then uh, the, but the, uh, like the um, uh, measuring heart rate, et cetera, and then the doctors use them more and more and uh, relied on them more and more, but still have the authority and they, uh, over, over the decisions, they're, they're really also using this as a big computer or like a calculator, or basically a piece of kit that gives them extra information, but they're sort of like at the cockpit of all the information coming to them. So that's, that's really how I see it, see it happening. There will be some nuances to it, um, uh, but really some of these other technologies are also very much automating the work that the, that the doctors are doing. It very much uh, saves time, very much um, uh, also needs, needs a bit of nurturing and also needs uh, quite a bit of attention on how they are applied correctly. Uh, healthcare and especially radiology is very much technology uh, based or tech mm. technology dependent. So, so really what I see is that the doctors will have authority. They will, they will drive uh, or, or decide on, on, on how the adoption will happen. And, and uh, we need to support that authority uh, every step of the way. And um, I think those who understand that will, uh, will be very much making, like from the technology companies, will make very good impact and will, will be uh, very much integrating into the services. Those who don't uh, and, and try to be forceful or trying to be tech first, um, I think are going to be sort of weeded out very quickly. So I, I think uh, in, the, in the next one, two, three years, I still think there will be a bit of wild west slash chaos slash not understanding how all of this works. But there are enough good examples coming on, uh, on to the actual market uh, and, and some academically or, or product wise. Um, or or, or, or success in terms of adoption, that I think we're going to see a breakthrough in two, three years' time, and we might have some clarity on what of cool. like. two or um, three years. Love it, yeah, love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Peter, listen, this has been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Mm -hmm. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you, and I'm a big fan of what you're up to. I've I've viewed you from afar. I suppose well, not mm -hmm. too far. I've been in this very much the same space, but I've viewed you from afar for a for a little while now and I think the progress that you've made is testament to the fact that you're definitely impact driven by the sounds of things and I think leadership in a company from someone like yourself that puts an emphasis on that definitely trickles through an entire organization and so I imagine it's um I imagine it's a pleasure going to work for for a company like this that, that's driving forwards in that way so I yeah just have really enjoyed it man and um I'm interested so if uh if people want to get in touch with you, whether they want to see what Chiron's up to, whether, or in fact, let's do this. Have you got any asks of our audience? That's what I normally ask. So we've got everybody listening to this podcast from obviously people in the NHS and, and that's both clinically and managerially, also the investor side, not that you need much of that probably for a little while, but um, loads of people listen to this podcast in the health tech space. Would you have any asks of our audience? Ooh, <clears throat> great question. Um, I believe so. Uh, there are a couple of key questions around AI that I think touch every all of us. Uh, one is, how would the audience feel about referring to have just humans doing the uh, diagnosis or a human uh, radiologist uh, or doctor with AI or just AI? Uh, or and if it's in the middle, then sort of what mix and what kind of dynamic would be, would be ideal? I think that's one of the key things to, to think about, I think. 
my my own opinion is that uh, I want to build AI that that uh, I want you know I would want my family uh, to be to be um, to be using or, or or to be impacting my family positively. But uh, and and I want to build, live in a world where all of that is accessible. But but that's that's just my opinion. I think we have all sorts of different views on this. The other thing is is really I think about data. An awful lot of discussion about. Uh, privacy and security for for right reasons, and I think that's very important to have. Uh, there's uh, healthcare data is sensitive data, but if there if the, the there are safety and and um, um, other uh, uh, safety provisions and 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 the processes are uh, secure enough, uh, is the preference that that someone would like share their data for the development of uh, of AI for for healthcare purposes? Or, or, or not. Um, and, and I think the key question here is, is to understand whenever there's more data given and, and especially that person's data is, is provided for, for some of these, um, these developments that, that actually helps the algorithm for exactly that patient. Like, and then that's important to understand. But, I, but there's, there's obviously, again, this is a topic that we have all sorts of different opinions about. So, so I think, but those are two important questions to think about. Like, okay, is it is it a good idea to to use one's data for for the development uh, of AI, uh, or 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 not? Um, and the other one is, re- again, um, what would be the right right future for the short term and and medium term? I love it, and obviously the, the ethics and morality of AI and and how we interact with it as humans. We could have probably, well, we probably might do another episode on that in the future, Peter. How about that? Yeah. Um, but listen, as I say, absolute pleasure, my friend. How, how can people get in touch with you or Chiron Medical if they want to find you? Uh, I think the best is through our website, uh, uh, ChironMed.com. Um, it has a bit of a funky spelling, so K H E I R O N M E D dot com. Yeah, I think that's the that's the best way. And very happy to talk to anyone interested in the space, looking for guidance, uh, interested in um, uh, supporting the journey. Yeah, we we love talking about it uh, for sure. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media, so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.